And let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we come now to chapter uh, 16. This parable, it's made up of a, opens here with a parable, and I think that it's known as the parable of the unjust steward, and it's one of those parables that can be a little bit confusing, so I think it's helpful to know what its meaning is, what it's intended to communicate to us as Christians even before we would study it. And so he is teaching here that just as the uh, natural man or the unsaved man uses every opportunity uh, possible to secure a blessed uh, physical future or retirement uh, that we are as Christians to use our present wealth, our present material uh, resources in a way to ensure an uh, abundant uh, entrance into heaven in uh, an abundant uh, reward there, which is our ultimate retirement, our ultimate uh, destination. You notice that when Jesus, uh, we're told uh, concerning this parable in the opening portion uh, of the first verse that he said, uh, he also said to his disciples, so this is entirely directed to us as uh, Christians. You re might remember the progression of what's been going on here. Jesus was, uh, had been talking to a very, very large crowd made up of multitudes, plural, made up of uh, His disciples and also made up of uh, people that were just there to listen to Him, also uh, Jewish religious leaders, principally scribes and Pharisees. And in the last chapter, uh, Jesus had just finished speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes in the form of three parables, the parable uh, of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable, parable of the prodigal uh, sons. And so now he turns his attention away from the Jewish religious leaders and he speaks to us uh, as Christians. And he speaks in this parable um, uh, very directly and, and wonderfully, in fact, uh, toward uh, uh, specifically to us uh, about our use of money. And of course today almost everyone is looking for uh, sound uh, financial advice and, and the world is in such uh, turmoil and everybody knows that it's a house of cards and so where can you hide resources and all of that, that kind of thing. And here we have Jesus giving us very valuable instruction in this realm. I think that very often in the body of Christ there's um, kind of two extremes related to the handling of addressing money and teaching on it related to a church. You notice we come to it right in the progression uh, of, of uh, teaching through the book. But very often there can be a church that does nothing but talk about money. Uh, and uh, that's no fun, and that's obviously disproportional. Uh, there's a lot more in the Bible than that, but you would almost uh, find it hard to believe uh, in certain environments and certainly related to a lot of Christian television too. And then there's another group that so doesn't want to be identified with the former group that they never talk about it. And so, um, but there's a, there's a more biblical view, uh, biblical, a more mature way to view money than uh, either of those two extremes. And, and uh, so Jesus gives us uh, some instruction related to that. He speaks quite a bit about it actually in his uh, in, in his teaching, 
And, uh, and, and so here is an element of it here. And he gives us the parable, there was a certain rich man uh, who had a steward, and, uh, and a- an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. And so, uh, as a response to this, he called in the steward and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Uh, give an account of your stewardship, finalize your books, because you're fired, uh, for you can no longer be a steward. And then, here is the response of the steward to the actions uh, of uh, the, the rich man. The steward said within himself, what shall I do? Uh, my master is taking the stewardship away from me, my job, and uh, I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved uh, what I will do. He comes to this conclusion after some uh, thought that when I am put out of the stewardship, when I'm put out of my job, uh, they may receive me into their houses. And so he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And so he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Wow. Uh, And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, uh, take your bill and uh, write uh, 80. And so the master commended the unjust steward uh, because he was a dirty, rotten crook and an unjust steward. No, that's not... It's not the meaning of uh, the parable. Some of you, if this is your first exposure, you might be saying, cool, I'll fit right into the uh, banking industry uh, or construction or whatever it might be. Uh, so the master commended the unjust steward because, and here, here's what he was commending, he had dealt uh, shrewdly. So you have this rich man who is a steward. Imagery was very, very well known to people in uh, uh, that age and uh, in, in the audiences it was being spoken to the disciples. And so here is a rich man, like many rich people uh, even today, he has more wealth than he can oversee on his own. So he hires a steward to help him oversee it, even as people will have money managers or they will have personal assistants and these kind of things that will then uh, help them manage their wealth, their estates, their businesses, all of their, uh, their interests. Now, one of the things uh, about a steward in the Bible and the position of a steward with a rich man, the one thing a steward had to be was faithful. And what that means is, is that the rich man would be able to say to the steward, this is what I want you to do with my property. A steward did not own property. A steward simply managed what was somebody else's property. So the rich man or the wealthy person would say, this is what I want done with my property. And the only responsibility of the steward was to then do what the the master or the rich man had told him to do. Faithfulness was required. Not great intellect, not great talent, not great uh, anything of that kind. Just simply the need uh, to be faithful. Well, the rich man was informed that his steward was failing him as a steward, (coughs) excuse me, in the single area that a steward cannot fail in, and that is in being faithful. He's gone crooked. He's mismanaging the the rich man's 
material, and, uh, and he's wasting his master's good, goods, as we're told. And so, no rich man, sometimes everybody thinks that rich people are, have had everything handed to them, or that, uh, you know, there's uh, 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 attaining to wealth as some kind of an uh, uh, easy thing to do. If it were so easy, a lot more people would be in that condition. But one thing uh, rich people uh, do know is that no rich man is going to remain a rich man uh, if he continues to allow an unfaithful steward uh, to be, uh, mishandle his uh, resources. And so this man, uh, the rich man, is going to do what anyone would do, and that is he simply calls him in ask for an accounting of his stewardship, finalize the books, and uh, you are fired, you are dismissed. Well, the man, the steward, he immediately does what you might imagine he would do. He begins to rack his brain now for uh, what in the world is he going to do for a living in order to support uh, uh, himself. And so he knows there in verse 3 what he cannot do. He, he says, I can't dig. He's at a place in life or whatever it may be that physical labor is a, a livelihood is not uh, something he can do. He knows what he doesn't want to do, and that is to beg also there in verse 3. So he comes upon an idea as he lays it out in verses 4 through 7, and he called these people together that owed his master money. And uh, the first man owed his master a hundred measures uh, of oil, and the steward reduced it to 50. And so, uh, mark the bill, 50% paid, and that was a very, very large sum of money. Uh, what that translated out to uh, a thousand denarii was what this was, uh, this was worth. So, it would represent the three, three years of wages for a laboring man. And then he goes to the second man who owed his master a hundred measures of wheat, and uh, the steward had it reduced to 80, reduced 20%, marked the bill, 20% paid, very large sum of money. That 20% uh, represented uh, 2,500 denarii and uh, seven years' wages for a laboring man. So these were very, very large debts that he was reducing now in, in what it was he was doing, and he was uh, doing it in order to now indebt these two men, and however uh, many others he involved in it, to indebt them now uh, to, uh, to him and uh, uh, for a very, very significant block of time given the value of, of these markdowns. He gave the reason uh, for doing this in verse 4. He's been fired. He realizes that he has a very short window of time in which to secure his uh, financial future, and he figures that by significantly reducing the debt of these men, uh, that when he's left homeless or he's left jobless, they'll be obligated to bring him now into their estate to now become a steward over their uh, properties uh, as, as well, to be hired for that. And so what this man has done, and the point of the whole parable is, is that he used the present opportunity to secure his future, and to secure a, a very good future, uh, by the way. So he has this very narrow period of time uh, during which 
to gain the very comfortable future that he uh, desires to have. And so uh, he did something here about it. Well, when the master got word of, of the actions of the steward, he commended him for his shrewdness uh, of his dealings. Again, very, very important that the, the master is not commending him for his actions. They were very dishonest, but, uh, but for his shrewdness. And, and he commended him for his foresight, uh, he looked to the future, he knew the kind of future that he wanted to have, and he made provision for it. And so it's like the master saying, I don't like what he did, but you got to give him credit. He had a very narrow window in which to take care of his future, and he used it to uh, the absolute um, maximum. Now, Jesus then uh, tells us in the latter part of, of verse 8, he then applies it to us as his disciples, telling us that we're to do the same. And so he said, for the sons, end of verse 8, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So uh, the, the non-Christian in this regard, in, in terms of the lesson of the parable, the non-Christian is much more attentive to this lesson and issue uh, than the Christian is in, in our particular uh, realm. And so the uh, unsaved person is, uh, in the unsaved world, far shrewder in planning for a uh, rich, abundant, uh, physical retirement uh, than God's people are for planning for a rich, uh, abundant eternity on the other side of of this life. And so uh, he commended the world for their shrewd use of, of the presence to secure uh, their future. Not their methods, but their, their zeal, their uh, single-heartedness and all of that. And he uh, commends, uh, commends that as something that we should learn from. And then in verse 9, Jesus instructs us pointedly as to what we ought to learn uh, from the parable. And so he says, and I say to you, to us as Christians, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that is money, uh, material resources, that when you fail, that is when you die, uh, they, speaking of the friends that you've made by unrighteous uh, uh, mammon, that they may receive you into an everlasting home, receive you uh, into uh, heaven. And so uh, this is what he tells us that we're to learn here, that we should possess an even greater uh, focus and zeal in preparing for a rich eternity, uh, which is forever uh, as opposed to just a few years of, of physical retirement in the world. And again, uh, here you have Jesus saying to make friends uh, for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that is, uh, men and women, eternal, only two eternal things in this world are the Bible and uh, people uh, going to outlive the heavens and the earth and into eternity. And so uh, to make use of money in such a way that people's lives will be affected for eternity. They will end up in heaven as a result of the use of those resources and then be a part of the welcoming committee uh, to you when you get into heaven. Now, you think about in terms of 
giving to God or using our material resources and money for the kingdom of God and all. Think, okay, and you see it on TV, all right? You, you give the 10% and then he's going to throw 90 in on top of it. And it's all this, this kind of stuff works in a materialistic society. You know, you're going to turn this into some kind of a Ponzi scheme or something. Um, but, the, the, but to think that we're going to view riches in eternity in the same way that we view riches in this world is a great mistake. I mean, do you think, don't shout out, it's a rhetorical question, do you think that when you and I get into heaven, we're going to be uh, taken to some kind of a, a pile of loot like on the Pirates of the Caribbean? Say, man, this so satisfies me. And my pile is bigger than your pile. I mean, that we're not going to view riches. We're not going to take joy in that in eternity. What will be the constant reminder to us of resources well spent and handled in this world will be to see people in heaven that are there as a result of our commitment financially to the kingdom of God. And, and that will be the true riches, not more stuff. I mean, that's just to perpetuate he who dies with the most toy, toys wins and to put it on steroids now in heaven, as if heaven is just going to be earth on steroids. No, that, it, that will be the riches is that, that, that uh, welcoming committee in addition to Jesus and then seeing, and somehow we'll know and, uh, that these lives, these people have been impacted in the way that I handled the resources that God brought um, into my life. And so uh, how are we able to do it? He tells us by making friends for ourselves by unrighteous mammon by money. In other words, using our uh, money in such a way that it impacts people for eternity. So it advances the gospel in the world. It makes the gospel known to people. It advances the kingdom of God uh, in, in this world. And all of that results in the salvation of people we may never meet in this life but we will uh, one day meet in, in the glory of heaven one day and who will become our friends forever. This kind of giving in, includes giving of tithes and offerings to a, a local church that we attend. Of course, it involves uh, giving that is given to missionaries. It also in, in involves any prompting of the Holy Spirit uh, to give uh, financially or to give material things to somebody in need. And that's one of the fun things to do in just uh, living our life as Christians, for the Holy Spirit to uh, prompt on our heart. We find out about a need, and the Lord prompts our heart to take care of it. Uh, somebody's hustling, trying to earn a living, and uh, they got a dead battery. That's how they get to work and, all, and everything, and the three kids, and the wife, and the whole deal. And, and, uh, and then the Lord prompts to buy them a battery. Uh, for the car, a bag of groceries, or pay a heating bill, or a, a money for a tank of gas, or anything like that. One of the things that is important for us to understand about the uh, material resources that we have, money, and then the material things that we own. Very often we can begin to think that 
uh, all right, uh, 10% of it, a tithe, that belongs to God, and then the 90% belongs to me. Well, it just seems like a small amount to buy him off and get him off my back, and then I'll go ahead and do whatever I want with the, the 90%. That's not, not how, it, how it operates. It, it is important, and, and, uh, and perhaps I need the reminder more than anyone, so the reason it, it comes to mind is that everything that we have belongs to the Lord. It isn't a percentage, it isn't a this or a that, there is a tithes, there are offerings, there this kind of thing, but God feels very free to prompt our hearts to direct our resources to any kind of a degree that He chooses to. And, uh, and He knows how to channel that into our lives to uh, allow that to happen. Everything belongs uh, to Him and should be like everything else in our lives, under the direction of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so, this is how Jesus tells us to handle our money in order to be wealthy in heaven, because it will be rewarded there, even if, if there's no uh, visible reward for it here uh, on uh, the earth. I do think it's important to recognize that Jesus is talking about uh, money. He is talking about material wealth here. The word mammon is an Aramaic word. It speaks about possessions or money. And the reason I mention it is this, is that very often uh, you'll hear people teach that giving to God can take many forms, and it certainly can, and it should. It can take the form of uh, giving our talent to God, giving our time to God, giving our money to God. All of those things are all a part of the Christian life. But He's talking specifically about money. And I, the reason that I think that Jesus doesn't just say, listen, give me your talent, give me your time, forget about money, and it's not a big issue, is that I think that money tests us, giving money tests us in a way that nothing else really tests our, uh, our hearts uh, co concerning. And so it is important to, uh, to realize that the financial giving is, a, is to be a part uh, materially of, of any uh, Christian, and uh, in addition to the other forms of giving uh, that, we, that we do. He gives a, a couple of uh, three warnings in, uh, beginning in verse 10, then in 11 and 12 and 13 related to what he's just taught us here concerning uh, giving. So some of us might have been listening to me thus far and said, all right, we're, we're, they're, they're going to be taking an offering for sure at the end of the service tonight. They got us cornered. They got men on every door. They're probably armed. We'll never get out of here uh, with, with our, uh, what we've got in our wallets. And uh, so all of us respond don't we, in a, a particular way to teaching related to uh, money, and then uh, even when it's in red, even when it's Jesus uh, teaching it. And, and he realizes there's uh, a handful of things here that will keep us from ever obeying him and the lesson that he makes here in the parable. And the first one that he addresses is in verse 10. He said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful, uh, uh, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in uh, much. And so Jesus addresses the, the great self-deception that we can 
uh, foist upon ourselves and thinking uh, that uh, I'm uh, being unfaithful to God in this area of the Christian life uh, only because I don't have very much. But as soon as I have much, then I'll begin uh, to uh, uh, be faithful to live in this way. And the idea that once I have a certain amount of money, uh, then at that point I will become faithful to God in the area of money. And apparently it's, a, it's something that God hears quite a bit uh, from His people because He makes it the very first uh, warning in this progression uh, of three. The problem with that excuse and, uh, that, that we can be prone to is that it usually never happens. It's a self-deception. And But Jesus is declaring that is, if a person will not be faithful with $200 to be directed by God's Word and directed by the Holy Spirit, they will not instantly become faithful when they have 2,000 or 20,000 or 2 million. He says, don't, don't kid yourself and, and sit there and think that one day, if you have this much, then you'll give to God, or then you'll live this way. He says, it just simply uh, won't happen. The fact of the matter, he says, is that what we do with the money we have now is also what we will do uh, if we had more money. One of the reasons, I think, is because a Christian who uh, uh, refuses to obey Jesus' teaching concerning uh, giving uh, typically is a Christian who views their money as a, the source of their security and not the promises of God. And we all deal with that. I mean, we all deal with that. Let's not kid ourselves about that. But, uh, but that can be at the root uh, of this, my money is my security, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm not going to give. The reason that uh, what Jesus ha says here in verse 10, that if we won't do it with the smaller, uh, smallest amount, we won't do it with a larger amount later, is the problem with thinking that making money my security rather than God and the promises of God is that you can never have enough money to feel secure. I mean, look at the world that we live in. How much money would you need to say, this would make me financially secure? Now, we don't know whether they're going to devalue the dollar. We don't know whether the dollar is going to be uh, overtaken by another currency in our lifetime. We don't know if the whole house of cards is going to collapse. You can't look at money and material things in this world uh, other than to say we do the best we can, we trust God, and we enjoy today, and, and we walk with Him, but talking about years out, nobody knows what's going to happen in the whole wide world. And not just on that front, but a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, of different fronts. But the point is, is there is never this magical number amount that we look and say, now I'm secure, because money can never buy true heart security. So we'll always take and want to hoard and to hoard and to hoard. I forget whether it was uh, Getty or Ford that they asked. I think it was probably Getty uh, uh, when they asked him, how much is enough money? And he said, a little bit more. And that is a very, very honest answer about a man who viewed money as, as his security. 
There, uh, there is a, another great enemy to faithfulness to Jesus in this area of money is just plain uh, selfishness. And uh, we, uh, uh, I'd probably spend more time on this if we lived in a culture that nurtured selfishness. But we're in a, such a, a, an other-centered culture that um, I'll just go on to uh, verse 13 here. No, we look and we say, I'm not going to spend money on any of those things, even if God tells me to spend money on those things. I'm going to spend it uh, all on uh, myself. And the interesting thing in this regard is that, that it is that very person, that very Christian, uh, is someone who needs to give most of all. I loved what I heard uh, many, many years ago as a Christian. Uh, that every time we give as a Christian, we give a little bit of our selfishness away. And, and have you ever felt that as you've given to God? I mean, it feels good, but you feel, boy, some selfishness died in order to do this. And typically, uh, most of us have a lot of selfishness to give away. So the person who's in that place is really uh, working uh, uh, against themselves. They have a need to give more than anyone else. And then finally, I think, you know, before we leave this point on things, is that uh, I, I think the greatest enemy to being faithful to uh, money in the way that Jesus describes here is a, 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 is a failure to really, really believe really sit down, take a long walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, but to really stop and believe that there's a heaven on the other side of this earth and that I'm going to enter into that heaven and that that eternity will in some way be affected by my faithfulness to material things in this world. And so we're careful about money in this, in, in this uh, life. We give great care to how it's spent and all of these kind of things. And, um, but uh, to realize, no, one day as sure as we're, I'm standing here and you're sitting in those chairs, we are going to stand in the glory uh, of heaven. And it's coming. And that uh, that is something that needs to be prepared for. And one of the ways that it's prepared for is in this area of giving. Now, he moves on to uh, another caution that he uh, gives here in verses 11 and 12. He said, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, isn't that a great way to think of money? I think it was the old King James, filthy lucre. You pull it, you know, a little bit out of here. I got no f- you got any filthy lucre on you? I mean, that's what it is. Unrighteous mammon. And uh, so, uh, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the filthy lucre, I'm going to do my pirate voice here in a moment if I don't stop, Um, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, um, who will give you what is your own? And so one of the consequences of failing to be faithful Uh, in this area is that it actually prevents God from uh, being able to entrust us with what He calls the true riches. In other words, uh, if I will not be faithful in something that is least, that's what He calls money, 
And apparently, Jesus does not consider being faithful with our money a gigantic thing or a gigantic demand in the Christian life. We do because of a materialistic society, but, but he, he doesn't view it as, as something, a, a, a major accomplishment, but a small thing. And, and then, uh, but if we haven't been faithful in something uh, that is least, that is money, then he recognizes that I can't be trusted with bigger things, this thing he calls uh, true riches. What are the true riches? It is uh, things like a, uh, being given a supernatural influence uh, uh, for the kingdom of God in this world. Um, it speaks of uh, God giving people uh, positions of spiritual influence and authority within the body of Christ or in a local church, whether it would be uh, a pastor or a worship leader or an elder or a deacon or a missionary or a children's church um, minister. And uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit that's required to bear uh, supernatural fruit in whatever it is that God has called us to. He says, if I'm not being faithful in this area, he says, I'm not going to entrust the true uh, riches uh, to you. From uh, God's perspective, if a person doesn't have uh, enough concern for the increased influence of the kingdom of God to then invest in it uh, financially, then that person doesn't have a sufficient concern for the increased influence of the kingdom of God to be entrusted with these kind of things. And God says, uh, so I won't. And it might be very, very offensive to hear, but it's very, very important to hear that the plain fact of the matter is that a person who is not faithful with unrighteous mammon will go nowhere in their ministry. They will go nowhere in their ministry. They will endeavor to attempt things and try things and uh, self-appoint themselves into positions or even try to enter into positions God has for them uh, but they're uh, not being obedient here and lack the, the power and the anointing to be fruitful and successful in that area. A and uh, because the Lord will uh, not entrust to that kind of person what they need to be uh, fruitful. And why should He? Because that individual is still settling the issue uh, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their life, whether money is the God of their life or whether Jesus is the Lord over their life. And while that is being settled in a person's life, the Lord, of course, is not going to give that person greater influence in the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of God so that this leaven that is within their heart, this issue that they're dealing with in their heart, gets even more fully spread into the rest of the body. He won't do it. So what he does is he sits and he waits until this area is in place, and then when it is in place, I am the Lord of his or her life now, not their money, 
then He bestows the true riches uh, upon them. That's why uh, um, here in the church, one of the requirements to be an elder or a deacon, lead worship, uh, come on staff in these different positions, is that uh, there's a five-point five grid that we run people through. And one of them is the necessity of giving. The necessity of giving to God's work. And it is this verse that is the basis for that. Because we can put people in positions, but, and we can, uh, 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 but if they haven't settled this issue, then the Lord isn't going to entrust the true riches to them, and they will be ineffective in their ministry and, and a detriment in terms of, uh, of this attitude toward uh, the Lord and money within the local body. Because, if he, because he won't entrust the true riches uh, 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 to them. And then finally in verse 13, uh, it, Jesus comes to the final warning. He said, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Oh, man. Oh, that's, that's kind of hard in our culture, isn't it? We're always trying to find a balance there on serving both of them at the same time. But he says quite plainly, you cannot serve uh, God and, and uh, mammon. The person who is unfaithful to Jesus' commands to, uh, concerning the use of money is a person who is trying to have it both ways. They're trying to have uh, two lords in their life, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus says, it simply won't work. It won't work. He's seen it. He's watched it up close. He indwells us by the Holy Spirit. He says it never works. One always prevails over the other, but they can't coexist. Because where the love of money will take me in life and where God will take me in life are two entirely different things. And the love of money will keep me from obeying what God wants me to do. So he said this, again, this is an illusion. It's a self-deception. Uh, and it's uh, it, 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 because the person, uh, what a person will spend uh, money on is a servant of God and what a person will spend money on is a servant of man. And they're just two entirely different things. And so obedience to Jesus' command concerning the use of money reveals that person to be a servant of Jesus. And then disobedience to Jesus' command concerning the use of money reveals a person to be a servant of money. And one of the, the greatest things that I ever have heard in my Christian life in this area of, of giving uh, is this. Giving isn't God's way of raising money, but raising children. He could so effortlessly... Uh, just pour down, not pennies from heaven, gold bullion from heaven. or what? I mean, it's, it's effortless for him. The whole thing is, is that this is a part of our training. This is a part of our development of Christians, our part of being set free from what keeps the rest of the world in bondage, in addition to uh, securing a, 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 a blessed and, and prominent uh, entrance in, into heaven the way that, that He wants us uh, to have. 
And so the giving is very, very uh, important in our, in our growth uh, as Christians. And so this passage teaches us that we should use our money today in such a way that it will secure for us a rich, blessed uh, eternity in heaven. In the same way, with the same zeal, the same focus, the same desire uh, that uh, people in the world manage their money, use their money, direct their money in order to secure an abundant uh, final few years in life or an abundant future or an abundant uh, retirement. Very, very picturesque. And uh, so we move on from that. So if the ushers will come forward, they'll take that offering right now. I'm just kidding. You know, I, we've never, we never, ever have ever pressured anyone. I think the, well, the one time we mentioned money in 35 years, and it was when this was being built, and we were down on 10th and F. And uh, I think that morning we needed um, some, something like uh, $50,000 or something like this in order to pull the trigger for all of this to, to move forward, and it had to happen within a day. And it's the only time I ever let a need, we ever let a need be known to the body in order to have a, a dig deep Sunday uh, for, for everyone. I would do it if the Lord told me to, to do that every Sunday, if He told me to do that. The interesting thing is that we, I made that announcement. We were doing three services at a time in the morning down there on 10th and Hef. And uh, what we found out later is that somebody put a check for $50,000 in the tithe box before the service started. So if I'd only listened to the Lord a little bit better, uh, I wouldn't even have one demerit on my… But my point is, is to just chill. Just chill. It's between you and God and, 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 and the direction. It's just a part of the Christian life. And just to listen to Him and follow Him uh, related to it. I don't think anybody can argue at all uh, about uh, how uh, valid and wise this teaching is. Well, Jesus' teaching got a response. Um, we don't really hear how the disciples responded to it, but the, the Pharisees responded very strongly. Uh, the, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, uh, they heard all of these things and they derided Jesus. They, uh, literally, the derided means to turn up their nose at His teaching. They, they scorned Him openly for, for teaching uh, in this way. Now, the Pharisees, Sadducees as well, Sadducees even more than the Pharisees, they were fabulously wealthy. I mean, they had made a racket off of religion, and some people do. I remember the, one of the, I've seen so many bad ones, you probably have too. I remember when I was a new Christian, there was this guy that was on there, probably 35 years old on Christian television, and uh, he looked like a cherub. He was a little plump and, and uh, very white blonde hair, maybe a Scottish accent and all. And his, his uh, scheme was uh, household salvation. And so he used the passage in Acts, and if you send money to me, your whole household will be saved. And I mean, it's just the, just the dirtiest, filthiest way 
to make money. I mean, better to go out and rob a, a brain speck. I'm not advocating it, but I mean, it would be better, I mean, under the gaze of heaven than to do this kind of, uh, of thing. And so, uh, tremendous money that can be made in that, and they had made themselves uh, unbelievably wealthy. And the reason that they derided Jesus, we're told uh, plainly, is that they were the lovers, uh, uh, of, they were lovers of money. And so, uh, to this day, uh, that is the response of anyone to Jesus' teaching concerning money, anyone that is a, a lover of money. And Jesus' response to them is beautiful in verse 15. He said to them, so he switches off from the disciples to now talk uh, to them. And he said, you are those who uh, justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And so what man sees and what God sees, two entirely different things. For what is highly esteemed among uh, men, that is uh, uh, money, being a lover of money, uh, that's respected among men, uh, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight uh, of uh, God. And so, uh, Jesus is saying, outwardly, you can fool uh, everybody into thinking that you're spiritual based upon the wealth that you have accumulated here. But Jesus said, uh, you can never escape the, the eye of, uh, of, of God here on this. He knows uh, better. And again, the covetous are so... Uh, good, especially the religious covetists are so good at hiding uh, their, their motives for uh, taking advantage of people in this way. And uh, the, it is the same methodology that was used, uh, was used 2,000 years ago that is used today, that, that uh, they misinterpreted the law of Moses because the law of Moses said that if you disobey the law of Moses, you'll be under a curse. And if you obey the law of Moses, then God will bless you. So they took that and they made it uh, about life in terms of specifically concerning money. And so rich people, uh, if they were rich, it was because of God's favor, independent of the life that they were living. It, it was because of God's favor and poor people were poor because somehow uh, 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 that only God could see they were living a life of secret disobedience to the Word of God. And so Jesus turns the whole thing around here and says, no, it's not like this. Uh, it, it's not because poor people are living some kind of a secret life. God sees all of this, and that's not, not how it works. And so, uh, so spirituality is gauged by material prosperity. And what an, an ugly, materialistic a terrible, terrible motivation for giving or, or any motivation in, in the Christian life, and yet it's used uh, right and left today. Now, forget that one guy, it was a year or two ago, if I said his name, you would all know it, but it wouldn't help you to, to know it. And uh, the, the word leaked out, what his, uh, his uh, uh, material wealth is, something like $400 million dollars. $400 million, all made off of God's people. And as I said at that time, hey, listen, just carve $10 million out of that. I won't have a problem with it. But get the rest of that into circulation. You cannot say you're concerned about God, concerned about the gospel, concerned about the advancement of the kingdom, and hold on to $400 million for yourself. I would never want to stand before God. 
I don't want to stand before God concerning the three dollars in my pocket right now. I'm just kidding. I don't feel guilty about that. But, but, but you see the scam. You see the game. And it's still the same idea that you can't criticize me because this is how God blesses. And if you had enough faith, you would be blessed the same way. That's a very tricky con that, that is, uh, is going on. And that Jesus, it's a further response to them uh, concerning the law and the prophets in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John, that is John the Baptist. He's the final of the Old Testament prophets. And since that time, now with, with Jesus, the kingdom of God has been preached, that is salvation on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, and everyone is pressing uh, into it. And the, and the religious leaders, uh, Jesus now turns the subject away from money in dealing with, with the, uh, the Pharisees. He's already addressed that. And uh, the issue of money there in verse 15, now he turns to the subject is, that is the most important subject that needs to be dealt with with the Pharisees, and that is their failure to recognize him as the Messiah based upon his fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so he says, what these common people, these people that are poor, these people that you look down upon as not having favor with God in comparison to you, they are pressing into the kingdom of God, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one uh, tittle of the law to fail. And so he addresses their rejection of him uh, in, in the light of the Scriptures, how grievous it is. And then he also addresses their massaging of the Scriptures in, in, and uh, violation of the Scriptures. They were constantly saying he was violating uh, the, the law of Moses, principally related to the Sabbath. He says to them, uh, you're the one that is violating uh, the, the, the law of Moses, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Jesus saying, I've never uh, ever uh, violated a single, a single word, let alone command, uh, of the Word of God in contrast to them. And then he gives them an illustration of it in, in verse 18 when he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And uh, so uh, that's uh, a mouthful, that, that verse. And uh, um, I, I, will, I will say just one thing, two things related to it. In, uh, online at our website, uh, there was a Sunday morning message in when we did the uh, chronology uh, the, the study of Jesus' life in chronological order, where I address this subject uh, uh, more thoroughly than anybody wanted me to. Uh, but it's the best that I could do with it because there's a lot of verses that come to bear on this, and I would recommend that to you for a fuller handing of this. But they were teaching, uh, many of them, a very liberal view related to uh, divorce, that you could divorce uh, your wife for anything, and they were, they were massaging the Word of God in that way, and uh, Jesus uh, rebukes them uh, for that. In other words, they were the ones that were violating 
the Word of God. They were the ones that were doing it and not Jesus as they, uh, as they accused Him of doing. I will say one thing about marriage related to this is that there should be no group of people in the entire world that have a higher view of marriage than Christians because it is an institution of our God. One of the things that when, when I officiate, uh, used to officiate a lot of weddings, now uh, everyone has their uh, other pastors that they have a closer relationship with on staff uh, officiate those, ser- those weddings. And all of that is great. I'll, I got a little tear just right here. No, that's all exactly how it should be. That's, it's, everything is so relational that way. But I used to be excited to not only to uh, join a man and woman, to become a husband and wife, but to declare to the group that had, had come together. It's like uh, weddings and funerals. You get a, a lot of lost people that you can say things to that they wouldn't otherwise listen to you on. But when you inform people, you know, and you ask, why do we get married? Where did this come from? Why have we always done this throughout all the way through human history? And then to, and people have never stopped about it. We just do that. It's what good people do. They get married when they fall in love. And not to realize that, that marriage is an institution of God, of our God. He's the one that introduced it into human history all the way back in the opening chapters uh, of, of the book of Genesis. And so we are called to model uh, the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church that's represented in the marriage, model the sanctity of marriage, the beauty of marriage, uh, the commitment within uh, marriage like nobody else in the world. We should be uh, second to no one in that regard. Well. It, it, you guys took so long um, in listening to all of this that we don't have time to get uh, into Lazarus and the rich man, and so we'll pick this up uh, and, and, uh, and important, very important in its own right, God willing, next week. And so let's ask the worship team to come forward.